Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliani here again, and today is New Year's Day. So let's start by wishing everyone a happy New Year, and I can't believe it's 2023, and I'm sure a lot of people are saying that today, and this is also going to be a new year for Gift of Grace Radio, as we are going to be on at least through the end of this calendar year. A little too early to speculate about 2024, but this is the gift of grace where we read and teach God's word and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I'm glad you're able to join us. And I should point out that if you go to the website, www.giftofgraceministries.org, that's giftofgraceministries.org. All the radio shows going back to 2009 are archived. You can listen to any of them at your leisure. And uh, in another few hours or day or so, this show will be on there as well. And then uh, they, this will also be, all the shows ultimately go on to my podcast as well. So if you go on to any of the uh, podcast um, providers, I'm not sure what they're called, (laughs) wherever you listen to your podcast, and search for Dr. Phil slash Gift of Grace, that's Dr. Phil slash Gift of Grace, you'll find about 800 podcasts. Um, I can't remember what year that started, Uh, but this one will be on, um, again, probably in the next couple of days. So, well, since I'm advertising and it's the new year and maybe it's the first time you've tuned into this show, there is also a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is One in Messiah Gift of Grace Ministries. One in Messiah Gift of Grace Ministries. And you can see all kind of video teachings there from uh, my One in Messiah ministry, which meets live on Friday night, and also various other videos of of teachings that have been done here and there. That's enough advertising. And since uh, one week ago, (laughs) we celebrated Christmas, and we celebrated the nativity of Jesus, Yeshua, the God-man, the Messiah, the Savior. And here we are one week later, So we're going to talk tonight a little bit about um, how Messiah was revealed to people, and secondly, how he subjects himself to the covenant, to the law, to what's commonly called the law of Moses, what's commonly called the covenant of law. I always like to point out that you really need to start thinking about the Bible as one continuous work. Many books, but a continuous flowing plan that unfolds from Genesis through Revelation. Yes, there are two testaments in the sense of we are in the New Covenant, which, of course, was prophesied in the Old Covenant. If you read Isaiah thirty-one thirty-one, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it's going to be different than the first covenant. 
And of course, we live in a covenant of grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so there are, in fact, two testaments, but we should look at Scripture as a in, in its entirety as one unit. I can't remember who it was, but there was a uh, teacher I heard that said something that always stuck in my mind, and that is the one thing he doesn't like about his Bible is that between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a blank white sheet of paper which automatically sets up a division when you look through, and there really is not a division And so last week we talked about Messiah being born, and you all know the story, and you all know the the nativity accounts, and you all know the the scriptures, and we used um, Luke's gospel because Luke has the most detailed accounts. He has the most complete accounts. As he says at the beginning of his gospel, he set out to write an orderly account of everything that happened. After Messiah was born, the question is, what happens then? The people had been waiting literally at least a couple of thousand years, probably maybe more like 3,500 years. People had been waiting a long time for the prophesied Messiah. And if you study Torah, if you study the prophets, if you study the writings, you see this reference to the one who's coming. You see these prophecies, these foretellings of the one who's coming and what he's going to do, what he's going to be like, how he's going to deliver people from the sin problem. And if you've been watching The Chosen, um, and of course there's a lot of liberty taken with exact scripture because it is a story and there's a certain amount of poetic license, but I love the interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus where Nicodemus is thinking Messiah's coming to get rid of the Romans and get rid of the taxes. And when Jesus says, no, he's here to take, to, to deal with sin. Nicodemus seems somewhat surprised <laughs> and um, especially important in our world, which has kind of lost all concept of what sin is, but that's not what tonight's going to be about, and the minutes are ticking away already. So after the Messiah is born, how is he going to be re- revealed to the world? Well, shouldn't even say to the world. How is he going to be revealed first to his people, first to Israel, which, of course, are the people of the covenant? Messiah has been promised to them. And, of course, in so many writings, um, in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, but in particular in Isaiah and in the Psalms, it becomes very clear that Gentiles, the non-Jews, are also going to be included in this, also included in the plan of salvation, also going to be brought into the kingdom. And so after he's revealed to his people, because it's Even Yeshua, Jesus himself, said the gospel is for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Paul repeats the gospel is for the Jew first and then the Gentile. So the first people of the chosen people that he's revealed to, of course, 
are the shepherds. And this is what we talked about last week. These simple, uneducated, kind of lower, very lower class people are have an experience where angels come and overshadow them. The God's glory fills the sky. They hear angels singing. The angels talk about peace on earth and goodwill to men, and we discussed that last week, and we're not going to go over that again. But the shepherds, these lowly people, were the first ones to get the message. Not the rich people who lived in the big cities, not the religious people who lived in the land of Judah, especially in Jerusalem, not the educated people that had been through years of study in various yeshivas, the shepherds who were totally uneducated are the first ones to get the message. He then is also revealed to the Magi, which, of course, were Gentiles. We're going to talk more about that probably next week near the uh, celebration of the Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is from the Greek word of manifestation. And it's basically about the manifestation of Messiah to Gentiles. We don't know much about the Magi. We don't even really know for sure how many there were. There was three gifts, so it's assumed there were three of them. But one thing we know for sure is they were not Jews. They were, in fact, Gentiles who came to see the newborn Jewish Messiah. So we're going to get more into that. We're going to continue in Luke chapter 2, because after the account of the nativity, we have really the first example of how the newborn Messiah, who is 100% God and 100% man, not only is born and fits into the culture of the time, because here is the true God coming into time and space. God, of course, lives outside of time and space, is in the continual present tense. That's why his name is I Am, because he is forever and ever in the present. But here we have the God-man coming into time and space where we live. And there are certain things, as you know, that happen according to the law given to Moses. And of course, this is the culture that Jesus is born into. He is, in fact, a Jewish baby who becomes a Jewish young man who becomes a Jewish man. He is, in fact, a rabbi in the sense of a teacher. But we also have to keep in mind that Mary and Joseph were also very observant Jewish people. We understand that the Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. The Bible tells us that Mary was full of grace, was highly favored. They also followed the law, and it would have never crossed their mind to not follow the law with this newborn baby. So we read in Luke 2, verse 21, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel 
before he was conceived in the womb. So eight days, so a week after he's born. So in our way of thinking, he's born December 25th. Today's January 1st. It's one week. And so it's eight days, the eighth day. <clears throat> so according to the law given to Moses, on the eighth day, a baby boy is circumcised and named. A baby girl can be named at any time, can be named right when she's born, can be born, can be named an hour later, a day later, or two days later. A boy is not named until the eighth day. And so here we have the first example of, well, maybe not the first example. First examples, we really have to go back to what Paul says about this in Galatians, that he was born of a woman born under the law. He wasn't born to a woman outside of the law. He wasn't born to a woman and then decided, well, he can do whatever he wants because he's the Messiah. He was born of a woman and he was born under the law. This was the, the, the circumstances. This was the, the context of the whole situation of his whole life. You know, we, every, every Christmas, everybody gets tired of me talking about blonde baby Jesus and the nativity scenes and pictures of European Jesus everywhere we look. He was born in a Jewish context. He was, in fact, a Jewish man and was, in fact, circumcised on the eighth day. We don't know who did it. It doesn't tell us how Mary and Joseph arranged that. Normally, there's a big party that's that's given on the eighth day when the boy is circumcised and named. We don't know if that was a custom then. Most likely it was. Because after all, he was now in the covenant. He now had the sign of the covenant, and he had a name. And Luke points out this is the name that was given to him by the angel Gabriel before he was conceived. And his name is Yeshua, which is the Hebrew word for salvation. So Gabriel tells Mary that you're going to name this boy Yeshua, and he's going to sit on the throne of David, his father, forever. Forever. The throne's never going to end, as, as God promises through Samuel, as he promises David in Second Samuel chapter 7. So he's circumcised and named according to the law, capital L. And as I say, it would have never crossed Mary and Joseph's mind that they wouldn't do this on the eighth day. Now we're going to move to the next following of the law. And, and, and this, of course, is also an example that he is, in fact, we can't say was, in fact, he is, in fact, a human being with a human body. He has a normal male body and was, in fact, circumcised by someone. Circumcision is commonly done now to just about every baby boy who's born for medical and sanitary reasons. But at the time, it was only for the people. It was only for the Israelites. Gentiles, pagans didn't do that. In fact, pagans thought that that was disgusting. They didn't do that. So he comes into the covenant, takes on 
the whole law. You know, Paul says later to the people, well, if you're going to insist on circumcision, then you have to follow all the law. You know, can't just insist on part of the law if you're going to insist on circumcision. Here, circumcision was absolutely necessary, and he becomes a servant of the law, a son of the law. He becomes bar mitzvah, a son of the law. And he took the whole covenant on. And he does this for our sake because even though he's son, capital S, he has to live life as a perfect human being, as a perfect man, in order to be the unblemished lamb. In order to sacrifice an unblemished lamb, in the case of of Messiah, he has to live his whole life without sin. Therefore, he has to obey the law all of his life without exception. The problem with people, and Paul talks in the book of Romans about sinful flesh, he had the appearance of sinful flesh, but didn't have the sin. And Paul emphasizes that because we have a human body, but we also have sin. Our flesh is sinful. We have sinful flesh. Paul says he had he he had all the appearance of everyone else, but had no sin. And so he had to live the law perfectly for our sake. So even though he's son, he has to have the sign of the covenant. He has to live the law. He has to be unblemished in the sense of no violation of that law. And he has to be given his name, which means salvation. In fact, when Joseph had his dream, the angel said to him, you're going to name this boy Yeshua. You're going to name him salvation because he's going to save his people from their sins. In other words, he's the Messiah. He's coming to bring salvation. And so his name is, in fact, salvation. So he officially gets his name. Mary and Joseph follow the law, and they follow the command of the angel, Gabriel. And and we literally get to this situation where we now have salvation dwelling among us. When we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, we know about living in temporary shelters. Now we actually have the Messiah living with us in the same kind of tent, the same kind of tabernacle that we have. He had a real human body, but without the sin. So again, the important thing to take away from this is he becomes a servant to the law in order to save us, in order to be the unblemished sacrifice. So salvation is living with us. So let's go on to the next thing. We're going to go back to Leviticus chapter 12 before we go back to Luke 2. Now, I hope that you've studied Torah. If you haven't studied Torah, please study Torah because you can't understand what Jesus did if you don't understand the Torah. You can't understand grace if you don't understand law. Leviticus 12, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, 
If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then let's flash back to Luke for a second in chapter two, verse twenty-two. Luke says, now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So he goes back to quote the next part of that passage from Leviticus. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy, and if we don't have time to read all of Leviticus's account, the Leviticus account, but it's on the 40th day. On the 40th day. And for a baby girl, in case you're interested, it's 66 days. But for the baby boy, it's 40 days. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, for 40 days, Leviticus, again, we don't really have time to do this, and I wish we did. She, a woman, until the 40th day, can't touch any holy thing, can't come into the sanctuary until the 40th day. So according to the law, 40 days. So again, Mary and Joseph, and subsequently and consequently, baby Jesus, baby Yeshua, Submit to the contract, submit to the covenant, submit to the law. That for on the day 40, they come to the temple with the baby. The firstborn male is called holy to the Lord. And we, we get the basis of this back in the book of Exodus, because if you recall, the firstborn of the Egyptians was slain. The firstborn of the Hebrews was consecrated to the Lord and considered holy. So that's the 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 contrast between the two situations. The Hebrew boy is considered holy. The Egyptian boy is killed in the curse. That's what, of course, what Passover was all about. So they come to the temple to present baby Jesus. 40-day-old Jesus. So he comes from the Father. He comes from the Godhead to earth, to our time-space capsule. And when they take him to the temple, he's presented to the Father by a human priest. So a human priest, we don't know who he is. We don't know if he found out later. We don't know, maybe later this priest became a believer and said, oh, I I did the presentation that day. I remember a human priest, a human Levite, presents the Son of God to God. Isn't that cool? And he's not left in the temple like little Samuel was when when, um, Hannah took him to the temple and left him with Eli, the high priest. Because he ministers in a temple not made by human hands. He's greater than the temple. He doesn't have to stay in the temple. 
he goes home with Mary and Joseph. And they follow the law by offering its specific, Luke tells us that they offer the pigeons or turtle doves. So they offer the poor person's sacrifice. The law actually says when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering. And a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. They didn't offer a lamb. They offered the turtle doves. Because if you can't afford a lamb, it was okay to order to offer a turtle dove, as it says in verse 8 of that Leviticus passage, chapter 12. You can bring two turtle doves if you don't have a lamb. So this makes atonement for the woman, not for the baby, for the woman. And then he's presented to the Lord. So immediately after his birth, he immediately enters into this covenant. Oh, I know the music's been playing. And we may may have to continue this next week. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. And again, Happy New Year. This is Gift of Grace Ministries, and join us next week. A hand raised in faith.